Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon and Lyle, I'm really grateful that we're both here today because we almost didn't make it. But we're not here. But we aren't here. We, okay, but we are here. When, when, when we made this, when we recorded this, we both nearly didn't make it. <laughs> Mon slept through three alarms. Mm-hmm. And you forgot to plug your phone in. So my alarm never went off. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I left home at about the time that I was supposed to be arriving here. And I think you did I, I, I woke up at the time I was supposed to be leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but good thing we did get here in the no, end. I should, let, me, let, me, let me restate that. I woke up at the time I was supposed to be arriving arriving here in this city. That's much worse than mine. <laughs> so despite all of that, guys, we do actually have a half-decent show coming your yeah, way. We've got yeah. some great things to talk about, so stay tuned. You'll have to um, listen in and hear, in, and hear what a, uh, a slapped-together breakfast show actually sounds uh-huh, like. Uh-huh. See if you can <laughs> when, spot Lyle the When Lyle and Mon are working under pressure. <laughs> With sleepy brains. Uh, by the way, of course, as we always tell you, this is a delayed broadcast introduction. If you'd like to join us on the live show, feel free to do so. Very easy. Just go to faithfm.com.au that's our website and just press play on the live stream or download the tune in app search for Faith FM Australia and just press play there as well or better yet give us a call 1-800-FAITH-FM and give us a hard time about not having the live show in your region and we'll get onto that ASAP yeah, absolutely. And, uh, of course, we have coming up in today's show, we've got some, some great uh, stories we're going to be talking about. Uh, Mon's going to be talking mm, about cruise, cruise ships. ships yeah. I'm going to be talking about hurricanes hurricanes, and abortion, uh, China, and China and abortion. Yes. yes. Got some heat over the abortion issue. Um, we have an interview uh, coming up from your creation, was it a creation conference? Yes, absolutely. I was up at the creation conference where I recorded a bunch of interviews with uh, scientists up there. It was really so interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Ron, Ron Nella is going to be on today um, to talk about um, fluvial geomorphography. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. It's the study of landscapes. Oh. It's the study of landscapes. Fascinating. Well, you know, speaking of other things that are hard to say and pronounce, we have what is quite possibly the hardest quiz we've ever had. Absolutely. So you can figure it out. Call it in. For bragging rights. Yeah, because, uh, well, do you know what? No one from the live show answered it yet. It's so if you can answer it, it's still out there. Yeah, it's still a live quiz. So even we, though we will give a, we will give a yeah. prize away on this one for the delayed broadcast. We will, we will. This is a, for the delayed broadcast listeners, a little special. Is you listen to the show and you hear the quiz today, if you think you know the answer, give us a call and uh, tell us the right answer and we're going to send you a prize. Or if you can just think of the most random name that you can come across in the Bible, just give us a call and spout it out. It's probably <laughs> the right one. I couldn't even pronounce the name of the uh, – of the. Um, it's, it's who are my quiz and I legit could not even pronounce it. No idea what it was. Never seen that word before. Anyway. Stay tuned, guys. Great programming coming right up.
with King of Love here on Faith FM. And as we get into our breakfast show this morning, we have a first clue for our quiz. Lyle, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you're going to like this. Mm-hmm. I picked a really, really hard quiz this morning. Cool. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not feeling like being mean. It was just the first card on the pile. But okay. I did decide not to put it underneath and pick it to the card. <laughs> so I'm being a little bit merciless. But this is a really... like I. This is a who am I quiz, and I literally have never heard of the guy, of the person. I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. I've never heard of them. It's a totally obscure name. I'm going to give you the first clue now. Let's see if you know the answer. Are you ready? Yep. Who am I? I gave orders to have Michael taken away from her husband, Paltiel, and given back to David. Okay. Do you know who that is? I know the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was all these different players involved. I will... Uh, you're going to look it up. That's what you're going to do, Eliza. No. Oh, okay, okay. I will, I will cogitate on this one. Yeah. <laughs> you do that. Take this one unnoticed. Okay, good, good, good. And uh, if you know the answer, you can, of course, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. This might be an opportunity for you to win two prizes because if you can tell us the correct answer before Lyle figures it out, I will give you double prizes. Once he figures it out... 
just one prize. But hey, prize is still a prize, so no complaining about that. Um, and of course, if you want to get a jumpstart or if you want to hear the clues again, you can go to our Instagram. Our Insta handle is faithfmlive, which is all lowercase one word, faithfmlive. And uh, you just click on our profile picture and our Insta story will come up, which is go. live for 24 hours. And uh, you can see uh, me giving you the clues. So there'll be more clues and there'll be all the old clues. You want to double check and do some research, that kind of thing. Hmm, there you go. Yeah. All right, very good. So what have we got in positively different news this morning? Well, Lyle, I've got something really cool that you and I are so into. So oh, you've, you've been on a cruise, right? No, never been on a cruise. Wait, I thought you'd been on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise. Or is it that you really want to go on a cruise? I'd like to go on a cruise. Yeah, that's Everybody right. talks to me about cruising and says it's a great way to go have a holiday. But That's uh, right. Didn't like one of your previous employees used to be like a cruise pr- professional I have had I have had several previous employees that have been cruise professionals. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I can think of several more there. But yeah, I um, I went on my first cruise. I actually was really um, down on cruises for a long time. Do you know, I'm kicking myself because years and years ago, I worked at a, at a, at a workplace at this job and the boss was um, trying to figure out what to do for the Christmas party and he suggested we all go on a cruise and and everyone's like yeah that's a great idea but I was like no way we're just gonna get stuck on a big dumb boat and I literally sent out an email entitled big dumb boat <laughs> listed all the negative aspects of being stuck on a cruise ship and literally swung the vote and we didn't go on the cruise <laughs> <laughs> no way. I can't even remember what we Mon. did instead, but I, I'm kicking myself now. I think we did something amazing instead as well. Like it wasn't, you know, that we did, missed out completely. But um, I'm kicking myself because that would have been my first cruise with a bunch of awesome people and it would have been great fun. But I did I'm going for a cruise my 30th because I wanted to go hot air ballooning at Uluru and then turns out that doesn't happen anymore. And so I just quickly booked a cruise to Fiji and New Caledonia. And I was pleasantly surprised at, at how much fun it was. It, it forces you to relax because you are stuck on a boat and that was difficult for me and uh yeah but you know once i sort of switched into that forced relaxation mode and realized realized there was nothing i could do other than like you know go for a swim and sit by the pool and read and just relax it was actually really great anyway so do you want to talk about cruising we're also going to be talking about conversion so like can you know how you convert cars and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so there's this guy right he had his name's Kenneth Capron. Hats off to Kenneth Capron. He's been trying to figure out um, in his hometown in Portland, Maine, about how to how to address the homeless problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, finding finding housing for the homeless. Um, you know, th- the problem there is that they're uh, they're running out of land. That you know, they have a they have a what's the call when they have too many people in one spot? Overpopulation. They're, they're facing overpopulation, um, and they just they're just like you know. Even if we had, you know, one house or a thousand houses, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do. But we need more. So he get this. He had the idea of buying decommissioned cruise ships, right, and converting them uh, into into housing into a housing community for vulnerable people. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And so he's doing that's it. that's a uh, a unique idea. Yeah. So he said we're looking at four populations: the homeless population, the low income population, the workforce population, and immigrant population. All who need housing and they all need job skill training and they offer that on board the boat. Because if you've ever been on a, on a big cruise ship, cruise ships are not just little cabins where people like have their room. Cruise ships are conference rooms and halls and, you know, a huge Yeah, because this was going to be my, my next question. You know, we've got some very low budget housing that's available in some of our large cities, which is basically tall concrete blocks mm-hmm. um, with small rooms in them and... 
you have you know people jammed in there because they ba- you know they're, they're basically at the bottom rung, one level above being homeless and on the street. Yeah. The level of crime that goes on, the terrible, just you know, the, the the society that develops within those buildings is a very unhealthy place to live. That's right. And so my question was, okay, are you just taking this problem and moving it to get on a boat? To a boat, mm-hmm. because you've got a whole bunch of small rooms, everybody living close to each other, all jammed in like sardines. Um, is this just a, a another um, human filing cabinet? Yeah, that is a good point. But the reason I think this might be different is for two reasons. One, because uh, a cruise ship is is more like a hotel than a housing apartment in that they do have you know the, like on a they often have like a section called the promenade, which is like a you know a big open walkway in the middle of the ship that has like little shops and cafes and stuff. And like I said, it has like you know massive conference rooms. There's usually so this is about building positive community then. Yeah, and these. But these I like the idea that they're also using. Sorry for butting in, but I like the idea that they're also using these conference rooms as a as a, as a place to provide education. Yeah, that's which is yeah, totally that's, lacking. That's totally lacking part. in some of these suburbs that you know I've spent an extensive amount of time working in. Um, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they have like you know, they have they'll have like a main stage, and they'll have like a, any if you actually go on a cruise, any one night there's multiple shows and and you know performances happening around the boat. So all these spaces, instead of being used for you know entertainment purposes, they're now being converted to educational, um, you know, uh, upskilling kind of purposes. So because a boat has these kind of facilities, they can use them differently than you would do like a human filing cabinet um, building. The other aspect that is different to a housing unit, I guess you could you say, is that uh, a cruise ship. Um, you know, with not only just with the uh, people it would house, you know, the the um, the, the people, um, uh, low income earners and homeless people. It also houses the crew, so you immediately have a mix of people on this boat because you're going to have to have a crew that can um, that can manage the boat, handle the boat, look after the boat, run the boat, and so it's not just going to be like a bunch of homeless people shoved in a filing cabinet block, you know, building and left to themselves. So you have intermingling, you have staff all the time, you have uh, education happening. And this is really cool because apparently he's not the first guy who's had this idea. Apparently it's not a new idea at all. Um, apparently other nations have had this idea. Um, but this this guy, uh, Capron, Kenneth Capron, is the first one who's taking it a step further. So he's already gotten um, – He's already underway uh, converting their first boat. So he's gotten permission from the city council um, and he's uh, got a $250,000 grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and, uh, and they're converting their first cruise ship, which is so cool. I'm, I'm so excited for them. Hmm. And, uh, and I, I, we want to keep tabs on this and, uh, and see, how it, uh, see how it turns out. It's called Hope Harbour. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, what? I kind of think it'll be a little bit exciting. I wonder what the lifespan of these uh, these 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 buildings is going to be. Yeah, you know, because they're a decommissioned ship. Exactly, and it's great use for a decommissioned ship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of work and energy that's taken up in breaking up a ship like that for scrap metal. Yeah. Um, how long is it going to you last know to, to last yep. for? You know, obviously it's sitting in the harbour. It's sitting in a um, a saltwater environment. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere necessarily. No, no, no. Yeah. You, you can't take a decommissioned ship to sea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically just um, floating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a, a floating accommodation block. Really, is all it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I think them. I don't know if they've thought about the potential for um, you know accidents. That c- 
I hate to say it, but like a lot of people who are homeless are affected by addictions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and something about boats and like, you know, people who are either on drugs or on, on alcohol don't seem to mix in my opinion. And so I wonder if they have any sort of... Yeah, there's a culture that tends to go with yeah. um, cruising at some levels mm-hmm. um, that, you know, the whole party scene. I hope they have a policy that you can't come on board unless you're dry. That would be, be sober, idea. Yeah. sober, yeah, yeah, and they have to be searched for any sort of, you know, uh, any any sort of dangerous narcotic that can endanger them. That you know, yeah, provide a secure environment, sink the ship or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, well, definitely thinking outside of the box and doing a great thing for homeless people right there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how this goes and and you know how it all pans out because there's plenty of decommissioned cruise ships around the world that they could do this with. It'd be great. Yeah, fantastic. Give us a call and tell us what your opinion is. One eight hundred Faith FM. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Chelsea Moon there with How Deep the Father's Love here on Faith FM. And we have another clue coming up for our quiz. Yes, our super hard quiz this morning, really getting our brains tested today. Okay, so next clue, who am I? I accused Abner of sleeping with a concubine named Rizpa. Do you know who that is, Lyle? No idea. Yeah, None good, whatsoever. Good, good. <laughs> Give us a call. You'll get double prizes if you can get it before Lyle does. The number, of course, is 1-800-FAITH-FM. Get your Bibles out, guys. Do some study. Find out the answer to the quiz. See what you can come up with right there. In more serious stories today, um, overnight Pope Francis came out um, likening abortion to a mafia-style hit. Wow. Where you hire somebody to solve a problem by taking human life. So pretty strong language from Pope Francis there. Very much so. And uh, this is an issue on which I've taken some heat on overnight over uh, a post that I have up on Facebook at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to you know make that statement that, you know, my position on this is a very strong position, a very strongly held position, mm-hmm. that I do believe that this is something that is wrong. Um, it is against the practice, not the person. I think we need to make that very, very clear. I'm not here to pass judgment on any person, and you know anybody who knows me um, knows that you know that's 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 not the kind of person that I am. But it, um, it it is about the practice, and I am very opposed to the practice. I'm you know I think that's a, I think it's a terrible practice. I don't think it's something that we should have in a civilized society. I'm not here to judge anyone, but I am to, I'm here to judge the practice. Okay, but doesn't that mean that if uh, if you tell someone, you know, someone who's having an abortion or had an abortion, um, you know, what you did is wrong, isn't that passing judgment on them? Because it's yeah, hard this to is, condemn this, the practice. This is the, this is the very, very mm-hmm. difficult position that I find myself in is like, okay, how do I condemn something that I find to be really, really wrong without being condemning of the individual, of the person? And And it works like this. I have lots of friends who come from very various different backgrounds. Um, you know, they've all, there are, I have, I have an, a lot of friends who have done some really terrible things in their past. That does not stop me from being friends with them. I have friends who are doing terrible things, you know, things that I consider to be terrible things in the present. Once again, that does not stop me from being friends with them. We disagree on stuff. But as human beings, that's what we should do. We, we, we're not all the same and we should have disagreements and uh, we should have healthy discussions on these kinds of issues. Uh, that's not passing judgment on the person. That is uh, me making a decision and passing judgment on what practices I believe to be wrong. That's fair enough because if you follow follow the thought process through to its logical conclusion, if you can't say that you know uh, that what the people that you love that what they're doing is wrong because you love them, then that means people you love must be just automatically perfect, right? Which doesn't work. Yeah, no, you're never yeah. going to have that within your within your circle of friends. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we need to be able to we need to be able to look at these things and say, hey, look, we, we disagree on these issues. This is where you know Lyle and I have uh, opposite views. Um, and uh, he has his strongly held views and he'll state those and I have my strongly held views and I'll state those. Uh, but at the end of the day, that doesn't affect our friendship and it I, shouldn't. I guess it's the same way that God deals with us in that he, what's that phrase, he loves the sinner but he hates the sin? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what I am trying to communicate here. But anyway, that was uh, that was an interesting piece of um, information coming up um, from there. On other news, uh, in China, in the Xinjiang province, um, they have just, um, in the last 12 months, they have launched some very large vocational training centers. 
What does that mean? Um, okay, so vocational training centers. This is this is a story is a little bit scary considering that you know our current superpower in the world mm-hmm. or rising superpower, I should say, is China. Um, and this these centers are large centers to educate and transform people who are sent there. So they're re-education centers. You mean the propaganda? Factories? Okay, so basically the uh, the issue here is the <coughs> Uyghur Muslims um, who are being sent there. Uh, estimates are that up to a million people have been detained and forcibly sent to these re-education centers. So there's like those propaganda brainwashing kind of places because, you know, China is a communist place. Yeah. And uh, is that what that is, basically? That's what it is. Oh. Um, so... Um, this is a result of anti-extremism laws that came through last year that banned things like uh, beards and veils and halal food. You and can't have a beard in China? You can have a beard, but you can't have a long beard. You can only have a short beard. Is it because Chinese people can't grow beards anyway? No, lots of people, Chinese people can grow beards. Lots I don't Chinese- think they can grow a bushy one like that. <laughs> you would be surprised, Mon. You would be they surprised. they got those little tiny, thin, little Fu Manchu kind of things yeah, there's a lot of Chinese people who can grow a very thick, a thicker beard than what I can grow. I'd like to see that. If you're Chinese and I you have, can grow a beard, send me a picture. I have uh, I have met Chinese people with definitely a thicker beard than mine. But anyway, be that as it may, that's not the reason for the law. Uh, the reason for the law is to restrict religion. And so this is part of the social engineering um, process that China is going through, where we've talked about before where they have a social points system, a social scoring mm-hmm. system. Um, where if you're a religious person, you are now you know being restricted from you know public services and all these kinds of things, um, and it's lowering you on that uh, on that social credit scale. Um, and of course, these are people that uh, because of their religion are being bitterly persecuted. Uh, to be able to get out of one of these, you have to renounce your religion. You have to um, you have to basically swear allegiance to Xi Jinping and you know talk about how great he is and you know, all of these kinds of things. And you having that guy sworn in was a bad idea. It's an interesting turn. It was only a matter of time. China China took a turn some years ago uh, towards being more liberal and, you know, created a a capitalistic um, economy. But now it's going back into, you know, the dictatorships of the Cold War era. And the scary thing about that is that it is a world superpower um, that um, you know, or, or, that, that is probably you know one of the biggest rivals that there are in the world today, and one that we all have a political relationship with. Do we? We do. Every country does, mm. and it's kind of out of necessity. I mean, if we were to break our political relationship with China, imagine oh. what it would do to the economy here in Australia. Australia no, would be stuffed. Most of our everything is made in China. No, no, no politician is ever going to do that, regardless of how. Bad China becomes in their abuse of um, of their liberties. people, yeah, you know, civil which and religious is liberties. really sad. That's really sad. It is really sad. I mean, even if our politicians crow that they're going to be taking out, looking after our our interests, like looking after our people, I don't think I don't ever think they're looking after that. That, that you, you know, you have to have a hand in oppressing one people to look after another people. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> Anyway, so the interesting thing is that they've only just made laws to actually make these um, these detention centres legal, even though they have been in operation for more than 12 months. Oh. So they've been detaining people and locking them up for more than 12 months with no legal framework to do so. So uh, It's a little bit like, well, we don't need laws. Who cares? Let's just do this anyway. And like, oh, well, maybe we should have a law to get this sorted out. 
So the people that have been locked up in these um, facilities, do you know whether or not they are people who immigrated, migrated to China uh, with their set of beliefs or are they Chinese people who have, um, you know, converted or grown up in those beliefs and who are now being detained? No, this is, this is, a, um, this is a, a Muslim minority primarily that lives in this particular area that have uh, been there for generations and generations and generations. It goes like way, way, way back. It's very ancient. Mm-hmm. Um a uh, group of uh, Muslim people that are living there. And, and, of course, the same is taking place in Christianity, but not as overtly yet. And so there's been a lot of crosses that have been taken off churches and replaced with um, photos of Xi Jinping. Uh-oh. Um, and, uh, yeah, you've, you've got to go to your little Xi Jinping study groups and all this kind of stuff to study his wise sayings. And How old is Xi Jinping? <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it sounds a little bit like North Korea, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like North Korea. I want yeah. Anytime I hear about these dictator kind of dudes, I always want to find out how old they are to figure out how, <laughs> how many, long do we have to yeah, put up with this yeah. for before if he it dies changes. a natural death. How many decades are we going to be putting up with this kind of drama? Of course, one Mike, one one final story. We have Hurricane Michael that is actually smashing the uh, Florida Panhandle right now. The strongest storm on record since 1851, since records began to be Whoa. kept, to ever hit the Florida Panhandle. Um, it's come as through as a Category 4. It is only just under a Category 5. Uh, and it turned from a tropical storm to a Category 4 hurricane in a space of just 40 hours. Are you serious? And so when I was reading this story yesterday, I was like, yeah, we're expecting to hit Category 3 by the time it hits the coast. I'm like, yeah, this is probably not going to be a story worth talking about. This morning I come into work and it's nearly a Category 5 and it's absolutely smashing the place and it's caught them uh, somewhat off guard because of that. They weren't expecting it to be quite so strong, but it has really spooled up. The Bible says these things are a sign of the times. Uh, the sea and the waves roaring, it talks about, just before the return of Jesus Christ. So definitely something we need to be praying about. We really need to be praying for uh, the people in the Florida panhandle right now. Many of them um, have nowhere to go. This is uh, All Sons and Daughters with You Will Remain.
everybody you're listening to faith fm 87.6 87.8 or 88 right across australia and i'm here at the cmi that's the creation ministries international super conference um, where we recorded this session uh, in queensland with dr ron neller now uh, dr neller is a geomorphologist with a bachelor's and phd in fluvial geomorphology i'm gonna i'm gonna get you to explain that to us uh, dr neller uh, but you're also a traveller, an adventurer, a researcher, uh, presented over 35 research papers at various international conferences and so forth. And uh, I understand that you've been looking for someone um, with a four-wheel drive to take you to the outback. It's, it's come up a few times during the conference. Yes, Lyle, it has, and thank you. I can probably help you with this. This is, this is an, area, an area that I kind of specialise in. In fact, um, we were talking about uh, some outback locations uh, the other day, and uh, one of my best friends is a pastor out in Fink. Okay. So mm. um, we, we, we got somewhere to stay if we head out there and have a look. Wonderful. I, I, Wonderful. I'm keen for a, you know, yep. a, a, a personalised tour by uh, an expert <laughs> in the field. Um, but um, I suspect that transport is not necessarily the only thing that's stopping you from uh, heading to some of these locations. Uh, transport is usually the, the bigger issue. Uh, time, I guess, is another one because yeah. uh, we have a very busy, uh, very busy profile. I do travel Australia extensively, mm. and um, so the opportunity in being in location does come up every now and then, which is wonderful. You know, for example, I'm in Adelaide and Perth and Melbourne before the end of the year, and um, uh, spending a fair bit of time in those cities and speaking and so on. Uh, but during the week, particularly, the Lord gives me free time to actually explore, mm-hmm. and that, that that always works in my favour. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> fantastic. Make the most of it while you can. <clears throat> now, um, just coming back to this area out in uh, in, in the Fink region, um, what exactly is it that you want to uh, to go out there and to observe? Okay, well, my background as a fluvial geomorphologist yes, oh, is we, a person... Yes, we need to get to that. That's yeah, right. No, yeah, no, let's, let's talk about what that is. It, it's a person who looks at the landscapes. A geologist essentially keeps their head underground, uh-huh. and uh, I, I like to look so at the... So we interviewing Taz here the other day, and so he's, he, he's, 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 he's an underground. The, I'm, I'm sort dirt. of like him. We both were children who wouldn't give up playing in the dirt. Okay. But he keeps his head underground. I keep my head above ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, my essential goal 
all through my research and then my uh, academic career was to study landscapes and particularly how they were created by flood mechanisms because flood is largely responsible for uh, most landscapes we see today. So that's why I took off around the world. I had to see the Amazon. I had to see also how floods would occur in more temperate areas, even, even in Africa and places where it's more arid and those sort of places and in China. Um, so essentially I'm a man who in, in the simplest terms would be called a flood chaser, but I'm really looking at how the flood created the landscapes. Why is that hill here? Why is that valley there? Why is it shaped like that? Why is that, what, what is that river doing in there? How long would it take? And all of those sort of questions. So uh, I love the landscape. I'm trying to understand the landscape. Okay, so as a fluvial geomorphologist mm. um, studying basically floods and how they affect the landscape, that has to lend itself towards um, you know, the, the whole concept of Noah's flood, surely. Is this, is this something that you started with in your research or is this something you have more recently been looking at? Well, I was born and raised in a non-Christian home and non-Christian school. So I, in fact, uh, when I began my studies of looking at landscapes and looking at floods, I was not a Christian. Had no real concept of Noah's floods. I'd heard about it in, in uh, a few classes in school, but just sort of casual classes. There were no formal classes. They were a simple Bible study that was allowed in those days in schools. So when I went studying, I was not looking to explain God's creation. I was looking to explain almost an evolutionary creation. I was looking at the earth more from an evolutionary geology point of view. So it was create how the earth was created and shaped over millions of years. But what happened, you're absolutely right, when you chase floods, when you see the results of the floods, then when you stand back and look at the landscapes, you cannot avoid the conclusion that these landscapes were essentially all created by a flood either in the rising stage or the falling stage of the flood, you began to see that that was the case. So what happened in my journey was that I started to become uh, quite concerned about the, the, why, why the landscapes didn't fit the model that I had been taught of long age or of certain processes. Why did they all look as though they'd been created by a flood and a catastrophic flood? So I actually became more of a creationist before I even became a Christian because as a scientist I was open to the idea of looking at it thoroughly in a science and the science was pointing to creation, to a catastrophic flood. So it was only after, to be honest, about 52 years of uh, growing through this process. <laughs> it took me a long time, uh, I'll admit it. I, I did question it a lot on the way, but finally, at about 52, 53, I actually finally gave my life completely to to Christ. Oh, praise God, and, that's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was great. Now, we see some, some landscapes, for instance, here in Australia, say, for instance, the Blue Mountains, which is um, you know, made of sedimentary rock, and mm. that's, a, that's a massive landscape with very large uh, plateaus, um, clearly created by flood water. From an evolutionary perspective, how do you actually get a flood big enough to create just something like the Blue Mountain? From an evolutionary perspective, they don't argue for a big flood, they argue for multiple floods occurring time and time again. So what they, that, that's why they need millions or hundreds of millions of years. They look at sedimentary structures and they see various layers and they go, well, each of those must have been laid down by a separate flood. The reason they argue that is that we know that very little sediment comes down the rivers. Even during the best floods today, you get very little sediment. So they then look at that layering in the Blue Mountains and they say, wow, well, that must have been hundreds or thousands of different floods 
slowly over time depositing each layer. That's the argument that okay, they so put forward. That's the argument. Is there problems with that argument? Oh, ab so absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of problems with that argument. First of all, there is no evidence that each of those layers is, is a separate flood. In fact, in a modern flood, a modern flood can tear apart a flood plain next to it and rebuild it, which it will do in the same flood. And when you go back and look at that new flood plain, you will find multiple layers in that there and then. So a single flood will produce not one layer. It will produce multiple layers on top of each other. Then when you, you, you look at it, you, you also see that those layers are quite, um, in the strata are quite horizontal over in the Blue Mountains over hundreds of kilometres with no variation. If you say to me that this is a result of multiple floods, and, and the big floods only come about once a year or once every two years, then what happened in between? Are you saying nothing happened in between? There was no erosion of that? There was no distortion of that? There was no reworking of that sediment? You mean that sediment sat there perfectly still until the next flood came along and gave it this wonderful horizon, you know, these, these linear layers? No, it doesn't work like that. And there would have been floods on, you know, it would, even even from a, an evolutionary perspective, it would have still would have been a flood on a, on a scale that we've never seen. I mean, we get some big floods that come through the Hunter or something like that, but, you know, not that is hundreds of kilometres across like... Uh... No, we, we have got some records of major floods occurring, but we were not there. These are still interpretations. But we're fairly confident major floods have occurred, usually as a result of the, of, of the, the past ice age we had, where it might have actually created a bit of a dam situation with water trapped and then the ice breaking and a massive flood, as did occur in uh, the United States. There's a large area there that's now confirmed by secular and Christian scientists as being a massive flood, but still nothing on the scale that would have been needed to create the, um, the strata in the, in the Hawkesbury sandstones and so on, because they are massive in scale and dimensions. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm referring to that because, you know, I lived there for, uh, there for so long. And, and, and so, for instance, the Jamison Valley, where we have the Three Sisters, um, how, is the, how is a valley like that formed? I mean, if, you look at, if, if I look at that valley, I see a creek at the bottom. Is it possible that that creek forms a valley... No, no, it's not possible because we, we've had 70 years plus of measuring and monitoring streams like that. And um, the, the, the time it would take is way beyond even their wildest imaginations. In fact, it, it's such an obvious claim that it was not that creek. Even Charles Darwin, the very, one of the founders of the evolutionary model, he actually visited that site. And he said, this could not have been carved by this water. That's impossible. So he had to come up with another explanation, and he proposed an ice age or a big glacial melt going through it or something like that. But he said, even he said, it's not the rivers of today. But that, that, that then moves away from the principle of studying the past with what we have in the present and, and, and sort of... Absolutely. In fact, in fact during my journey in academia, we did move away from that even as a, as a non-Christian because what we found too often was an example of a catastrophic event. So a simple way now of explaining complex layering or complex features is to say, yes, we still believe in uniformitarianism. It's a gradual process, but every now and then a catastrophe comes along <laughs> and does this. And then we go back to that. So they've actually got the best of both worlds now. They actually combine uniformitarianism with catastrophism, and uh, that, that allows them to explain anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK, so now coming back to, coming back to Fink and, uh, and, and what we see out there with the Fink River, um, tell us a little bit about that. So what, what, what kind of features have we got out there? 
Well, that's a very complex landscape of mountain ranges, the McDonald, the James Range, and so on. Uh, they're sedimentary in basic structure. I won't go into that, but they're sedimentary. They've been tilted quite considerably as they were raised. And uh, so it's quite a complex landscape. But what is fascinating in those landscapes is we see uh, rivers flowing through the landscapes and creating what we call a water gap. In other words, the river is not going around a mountain range or a ridge that's in its path. It actually just goes straight through. That's the incredible feature that we're, we're looking at. And there's not just one or two. There are hundreds of those in these mountains. In fact, if you go across the rest of Australia, you will find them everywhere. The question then becomes, how did a river of that size and that dimension, which is really quite small, mm. how did it cut through a mountain range. And that's what we've been exploring um, out there. Yeah, and the I mean, answer, the Pink the, River, sometimes it runs and sometimes it doesn't kind of thing. That's it? right. And, and the, the arguments in, in, in the academic literature are quite weak. They say either the river is older than that landscape and as the mountains rose, the river just cut down, um, or they have other ideas as well. But they, always, they have to invoke age. They have to invoke age. But I think one of the fascinating things is that the rivers still retain their wonderful meandering patterns in perfection as they wander through this. One would have thought that a river trying to make its way through a, uh, a range or a barrier of sedimentary material or any other material would have actually partly shaped itself according to the actual range itself. But these rivers don't. They flow in perfect meandering patterns through these ranges. Now, talking about those meandering patterns, there's some meandering patterns there where the river no longer flows. Correct. What's that all about? That's been the most uh, recent finding. Um, what we find, in fact, is that there's a water gap on two of the rivers there is not the only, the, the only flow path. There's another flow path. Uh, now, we see that on river meanders in, in, in most areas. You'll see it in the Darling River and the Murray River. And all that happens there is a river migrates from A to B. Mm -hmm. And what you see is the old path of the river, and you can go to the new path of the river, and you'll see traces of that river from a historical point of view. You might find them billabongs and those Exactly. Things. Billabongs, cut-offs, whatever they call it, yeah, uh, oxbows. But what you see in the James Range with the Fink River is you see an old path and a new path, but there happens to be a hill or a mountain between them. And yet they intersect almost like a DNA molecule, they keep crossing over each other and then going off into some other part of the range and coming back again and crossing over each other. So you have two pathways almost in unison with each other, crossing each other, of which only one of them is active. The question becomes, how did a river cut a water gap and then change its course, not by migrating, but by jumping over the ridge here and jumping over another ridge there and it does it over and over again it's the same river that has two flow paths mm -hmm. one from the past and one that is current okay so how does that happen then you've raised the million dollar question there it, and this is <laughs> it certainly cannot happen by any process that we understand today that we used to explain these features the river did not migrate from a to b because if it did it would have removed the landscape between A and B. Those hills would have been destroyed. Equally, people talk about what they call an avulsion, which is a dramatic movement of the river. What happens, it'll, it'll flow off its path and flow another way. But if you have a water gap where the river is flowing in the bottom of a big gorge, there is no opportunity for it to flow another way. So that doesn't work either. 
So in the end, you have to almost come back to uh, thinking that two catastrophes were needed here is the original thinking that one might come up with, that you had a pathway going through and then something else happened which changed the flow and it, it was forced in a catastrophe to take another pathway. So you're almost invoking two catastrophes, but I don't even agree with that either. Okay, so from a creationist, a, a, a flood perspective, um, what would you see happening here? We have a lot of research to do. And uh, we need to get out there. We need a four-wheel drive. We need a four-wheel drive. <laughs> four drive. And what we would do, go out there, is with some, some of the drone technology, do some mapping of those two valleys, the old one and the new one. We would take sediment samples as well, so we could look at the sediment character, what was being carried, which would give us an indication of the flow. We'd do some measurements of width and depth, all those sorts of things. What I think has happened, though, given the, the fact that it's on multiple rivers, from the same larger broader area that what you're seeing is these two were created basically um, in sequence as the floodwaters from the global Noah's flood descended because there would have been certainly a valley cut quite easily. You can imagine the water above the ranges mm -hmm. as it comes down it's going and the ranges begin to block it. It's going to seek paths so it simply cuts through it. Now you've got to remember these rocks are not solid at this stage. They're all new sedimentary material deposited in the previous six months of the flood. So it cuts a pathway. But I think what happened in this case is the, the major flow path in another direction was closed as the waters continue to decline. And what it did then is instead of a more gentler flow throwing, flowing through, you ended up then changing the entire dynamics in those two river systems. And you now ended up with a much more massive flow, different velocity, different turbulence, different sediment, trying to flow the same path. So it actually smashes it and builds a second pathway more suitable to its different flow conditions. So in fact, the first wavelengths are quite small, indicating that the flow that was going there as opposed to the other direction was quite small. But then when the other direction is cut off, you've now got, in this case, we estimate over 150 metres of water at the head of that gorge wanting to move, in which case it now needs not those little meanders, it needs big ones. So it creates a second set of meanders adjacent to and crossing over that represents the more massive flow under very different conditions. Fascinating stuff. Dr. Ron Miller, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM today. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, my pleasure. hopefully we can, we can chat again sometime. Um, we're going to uh, move on with the programming right now, and we'll be back right after this with some more great programming. Do not boast over me, my enemy, for my father is the victor. Your darkness only makes him brighter He'll make me more than a conqueror When I fall, I will rise again 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 Do not blow over me, my enemy Disappointments push me deeper Into dependence on my father I hold on to him, my helper When I fall, I will rise again 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 Do not rejoice over me 
my enemy Every trial makes me stronger Every failure makes me wiser This hero finds me in the fire When I fall I rise again 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 Fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Adventist Church on Newcastle Road, Walls End, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts 10 a.m. every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.